So we are the second Sunday of Advent. Uh, if you're counting down to Christmas, that means it's nearly here. Uh, but of course, as I said last week in Advent, we are looking um, in the, uh, at the first Advent as we prepare to celebrate again in history uh, the coming of Christ in Bethlehem. We look at the second Advent when we are celebrating, uh, or not so much celebrating, preparing for uh, the coming of Christ. Um, and uh, I read this week, somebody said that there's actually a third Advent. And I thought, that's interesting, what do they mean? And they made the point that the third Advent is the coming of Christ in our lives again. And that seems to me to be the point of having John the Baptist uh, reading again today. Uh, we are to prepare again for the coming of Christ in our own lives. Prepare the way, says John. Um, so the reading's divided in two halves. Um, you may, uh, um, if you've got a Bible, you'll, you'll notice the first half has got some information, and the second half has, uh, has just been borrowed from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, so that's broadly how it's divided. This is a two-point sermon. The first point is that um, Luke locates John the Baptist in secular history. We get this detail. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, um, so we know that the date is approximately from history, um, August uh, 20, um, I was going to say 2028, August 28, like 028, um, 28 AD uh, was the year, and it's August. So that's roughly uh, when the time is. Um, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee. Um, so you probably have an idea what a governor is, in that they govern something. Um, a tetrarch is like a mini prince. Uh, they look after a small area. They're not particularly senior, um, but you know, you might, if you have a piece of land um, where there's some people that need kind of looking after and you, you're going to send someone there to do it, uh, then you're going to call them a tetrarch. Or that's what they did then. So Herod's a tetrarch of Galilee. He's, he's small fry, in other words. His brother Philip, tetrarch of some other places, um, small fry. They're not really interested in who the rulers are. Uh, even though it affects them. They're more interested in who was, in, uh, who was the high priest at the time. And then we get something interesting. We, hear, we see in verse 2, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Um, so Caiaphas was actually a descendant of Annas, um, and uh, they were not the high priests at the same time. Uh, so uh, what is believed to have happened is that um, uh, basically Annas was hanging around. So Annas was no longer the high priest. He finished that in AD 15. Um, and by this point, it's, it's sort of 13 years later, um, Caiaphas is the high priest, um, and Annas is the annoying retired priest in the corner. Uh, any of you who've been in a church uh, where there have been a retired member of clergy around, um, you, you'll, you'll know that normally uh, retired clergy get sent to different churches. Um, they, they don't get to stay in the one um, where they were the rector, where they were in charge. Um, in this case, it's like the rector retired 15 years ago, and he's still sitting in a corner saying, well, when I was the rector, we didn't do it like that. Um, and it gets quite tricky. So that's why in the church we have a thing where we, 
we, we clergy have to go to different places. Um, clearly, that was not the case in the temple. I guess there weren't a lot of uh, places to go. So there he still was. Uh, so that's why we get this peculiar thing of the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas when we know there can only be one high priest. Uh, so those of you that like history probably enjoyed that little explanation. Those of you that didn't, I'm sorry, I will tell a story, I promise. The Word of God in that time, located in secular history, in Jewish history, in that time, about AD 28, the Word of God came to a man called John. John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And then we jump straight in in verse 3 with what John does. He goes into the country around Jordan, so we're located in history, we're located in secular history, religious history, and now we're located in a place. Uh, around the Jordan, that's the River Jordan, uh, which was a big uh, river at the time because there was no irrigation, and he is preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A phrase you've heard before, I'm sure. He was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. At the start of our service, we have, uh, partway through, we have a confession where we, uh, we call to mind those things we want to say sorry for. And, uh, and today I said, why don't we um, perhaps hold out our hands as a way of kind of offering that physically and confessing those things we want to give to God. And so uh, John is going and getting people to prepare um, for Jesus to come by baptizing them with this baptism of repentance, which means saying sorry. But it's not just saying sorry. It's saying sorry and kind of turning around and doing it differently. Um, those of you who have children, uh, which, which, which we do, um, uh, do, do you ever just raise a hand? I won't put you on the spot, but you can just raise a hand. Um, do you ever try and get them to say sorry when they hurt their siblings or their friends or another member of the family? And, um, and uh, so, so there's a whole, um, I told you I'd tell a story, here we go. There's a whole thing, isn't there, when you try and get someone to say sorry, and maybe if you're a young person, a child, uh, you've, you've experienced a parent trying to make you do this. You say, you know, can you say sorry to your brother? Sorry. You need to say sorry and sound like you mean it. I'm sorry. You know, have you, have you, have you done that? Or is it just us? Um, because it's not just about saying the word sorry, although that is really important. It's about sounding like you actually are. That is the difference between uh, confession in a repentant way and confession in a way that does not have repentance. Uh, we confess our sins not just because that's what we do, but because genuinely we want to say sorry for these things in, in a way that means we want to turn away from them. We don't want to do the same thing again. We want to say sorry. Uh, in a repentant way. And so that is the baptism that John is preparing people for, um, and he's then washing them in the River Jordan. Now, what we don't get in this gospel, uh, but we get in the other gospels, is we don't get a description of John's fashion sense. Uh, you know, in Mark's gospel, we hear about John, and he wears clothing made of camel's hair and has a leather belt around his waist, and he eats locusts and wild honey. And we all think, oh, what a strange man to eat locusts and wild honey honey. But really, it's just telling us something about uh, he, was, he was out there. Uh, he wasn't the kind of person people were expecting to come and point the way to Jesus. Um, here in Luke, uh, he dives straight in. He says, here's who he is in history. 
Here's who he is in religious history. Here's where he is, and here's what he's doing. He's straight in there telling us, uh, getting to the point. That's the first half, and in the second half, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, and then Luke just takes out three verses. Uh, The next three verses come from the prophet Isaiah, and we get this, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. As uh, As we think about what it means to prepare the way, um, I thought I'd tell you a little story, um, and uh, I was trying to think of a story. Um, some of you have heard me preach before, and, and you're thinking now, you've probably got bingo available in front of you in your head. Is David going to tell a story about an airplane, or a train, or a car, or food? Because really, those are the four stories I tell. Um, actually, I thought I'd tell you a story about a funeral. Is that okay? Nobody said, oh, well, I'll just have to... I can find a train story if you want. Is it okay if I tell you a story about a funeral? Um, I'm going to anyway. So um, it was in, in a church I used to work at, and uh, we, um, I did quite a lot of funerals. And often the funerals would, in, would be in two places. So we'd have a service in the church with a, with a coffin, um, and then we would then go to a crematorium where there would be a cremation. Uh, and so um, I'd finished the service in the church, and we were going out, ready to gather and get into the cars and head down to the crematorium. Um, and it was about eight kilometers away. Um, and uh, I'm translating because it's five miles, but uh, in England they do miles still because they're old-fashioned. Um, so it was eight kilometers away, um, and so I was going to have a ride in the hearse, uh, sitting at the front next to the driver just for clarity. Um, and so um, we, we all went out after the service, and the funeral director uh, was there to, to gather us uh, into the various vehicles that were going to be heading off down. And this particular funeral director was from Stratford-upon-Avon. And I'm not sure whether he had any connection with the Royal Shakespeare Theatre, uh, but he did seem to be a little bit dramatic in the way he did things. And so he had with him a wand. Um, And when I say wand, you might be thinking Harry Potter magic wand. This wand is basically like um, a stick. So it'd be a black stick that was sort of four foot long with a gold thing on the top or a silver thing. And he had this wand, which the idea would be he'd he'd hold it out uh, when he walked. And he had a top hat. Um, now, I don't know how many of you have top hats lying around your house. Um, if you do drama or musical theater, maybe you do. But otherwise, you probably don't. He had this big top hat. It was kind of 12 inches tall on his head. So he's there. He puts his top hat on like something out of a Victorian musical. He's got his wand. And, uh, and he starts walking out very slowly, preparing the way for the funeral procession into the street. And he uses his wand to stop the traffic. You know here, you see people stopping traffic, and they've normally got one of those boards, don't they? Stop slow. And they wave one of those, and they're wearing all yellow. He was wearing all black, with this big Victorian hat on, and his wand. And he walked out into the street, and he just stopped the traffic, like he was conducting an orchestra. And then out, we were able to go. So as I said, I was in the hearse, I was in the the front vehicle, the other vehicles were following us behind, and and I was there. We hadn't rehearsed this. I mean, clearly he'd done this many times before, but we hadn't rehearsed this. So I was then thinking, I know he's got to come with us, and, and I think he's coming in this car. So I was kind of wondering how he was going to get from walking in front of us holding his wand to getting inside. Uh, And so what we did was we walked 
he, he walked probably 200 meters in front of us, going at a very slow pace. And then all of a sudden, he kind of did something with his wand, I guess, so the driver knew what he was doing. He turned around. Uh, the car stopped momentarily. He climbed in very quickly, and off we carried. Uh, and I tell that story because uh, what he was doing was he was preparing the way for us to continue our journey. John the Baptist, for you listening today as a follower of Jesus, is not preparing the way for you to start your journey. You don't encounter John if you're a Christian and say, okay, I need to now be baptized and repent of my sins because Jesus is coming. You encounter John most likely as one who has already been baptized. If not, talk to me, we can do baptisms too. But uh, you probably are one who has already been baptized, who has already made a commitment to follow Jesus. And so John, for you, is one reminding you today uh, that you need to prepare the way for the journey to continue, the journey of following Jesus. In this season of Advent, we are preparing the way. Not just for Christmas, although I'm sure you are preparing for Christmas. I talked a bit about that last week. But preparing the way for Christ to return. And not just for Christ to return in the world, but to prepare the way for Christ returning in your heart. This is a season when it's good for us to stop and take time to think about Christ returning returning into our lives. Are we ready, was the question I asked last week. Are we ready for Christ to come back? John says we're to prepare for Jesus to come. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And it's not about walking out in front of traffic with a top hat on and a wand or a stop slow sign in our lives, it's probably more likely about confession and reflection. Some people like to uh, go to a priest for confession in the season of Advent, and um, I have a, a service in the, in the service book, uh, which I've done with people, and it's a, good, a really good thing to do, um, to, uh, to, to confess to somebody else. And some people find that's really helpful if it's a pastor or a priest. Um, other people find it more helpful to talk to a very trusted friend. Uh, but when we hold these things in, uh, in our hearts, uh, they burden us. And so the purpose of confessing to somebody else those things which we're sorry for is so that uh, we, can, we can know and be assured uh, that we don't need to hold those things on any longer. Uh, one of the things we can often do is we can confess our sins week by week in church um, and and whilst we're supposed to leave them at the foot of the cross and hear the words of assurance of forgiveness, uh, we will take them with us again and bring them back. It is good to confess and to lay those things down. So that might be something you can do in this season. It might be a time to rediscover faith and to rediscover Jesus. Um, there's, a, there's a meme going around. You might have seen this. Um, and it's got two pictures. Uh, a meme is a little cartoon, if you don't know what a meme is. Uh, so there's a little, little meme with two pictures. And there's someone in a hotel. And the first picture, um, he's ringing uh, the reception desk and saying, um, can I have a wake-up call, please? 
and, uh, and, and if you might know where this is going. And in the second picture, the person responds, Jesus Christ is coming to judge the living and the dead. The reality is that Christ is coming. He's coming as Savior, and he's coming as judge. John reminds us that we need to be prepared. Prepare the way for the Lord in our own lives. And as Jesus comes, we see in verse 5, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough, the rough ways become smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Of course, that prophecy uh, from Isaiah was a prophecy to uh, the Jewish people. Uh, and so when it says all people, it is, it is that it no longer is just the Jewish people who can see God's salvation, but, but the salvation of God is available to all people, the Gentiles and everyone. Prepare the way for the Lord. So as I finish, we're going to sing in a moment, uh, Purify My Heart, the song Refiner's Fire, um, as a chance to reflect a bit more um, on, on this calling in this season of Advent. And it's extremely challenging. When we talk about preparing the way for Jesus to come back to earth, that's not that challenging. I mean, it is if we stop and think about it, but it's not that challenging. But when it comes to us in our hearts, and we are talking about preparing for Christ to come back in us, preparing for the advent, the coming, the arrival of Christ in our hearts and in our lives afresh again, that's challenging. So I'm going to leave us in a moment to have some silence and some space, and then uh, we will pray. Um, and a little bit later we'll sing, Purify My Heart, and ask God to cleanse us once again. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we reflect on this reading from Luke's Gospel, as we hear again the message of John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus to come, would you shine like a light in our lives and illuminate those things which we need to do, those things which we may need to change, the responses that we need to make so that we are prepared and ready to walk deeper this season with Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, and our friend. Amen.